The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yes, yes, yes. Let me grab my stuff. It is my favorite time of the year. Randy talked about last week it was my birthday, so it's around my birthday. It means I have money to spend. It's Black Friday. Me and my wife are part of the crazies that run around and do that. We have a good time with that. Um, and it's historically, it's, I, I consider it when I was young kind of like a family reunion time for my family. We always got together on Thanksgiving Eve. It was the Wednesday night celebration for us. And growing up, we, you know, we did a, a hog on the barbecue pit all day long. And it was, it was just good stuff. It was a good time. And uh, that tradition's kind of moved to the home place where I grew up. And we get together, have barbecue. There's a perlo being cooked. And I uh, asked what was in it. And they said a little bit of everything. So I said, okay, I won't ask anymore. Just eat it. It was good. Had a good time. Hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. Um, I am talking about Thanksgiving. I, I am thankful for this opportunity. Um, it's it's uh, not easy for me, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to come before you um, and have this opportunity, this privilege to be able to preach and teach. Um, I remember uh, one of my friends when we were, I was struggling to see what, what God was calling me to do and how to serve. And he just talked about, I was talking about coming over and helping plant a church. And he said, you know, there's a lot of, men that are called to the ministry that do not have a flock, that do not have the privilege to stand before people and proclaim God's word. And so I don't, I don't want to take this lightly. Um, I consider myself more of a teacher than a preacher. I think Randy has the gift of preaching. Um, so the way I want to serve you this morning is just take a look at some scripture, kind of walk through it together, and then uh, from that, from these truths, draw an application um, that hopefully that we can apply in our lives um, to live uh, out what, what the Word of God has called us, this, called us to do. Um, I got a little scratchy throat this morning. I woke up yesterday. I was like, uh-oh, it's coming on. I was chewing cough drops before I came up here, so I'll probably be drinking like Randy does. I'm not on medication that causes my mouth to be dry, but uh, Randy drinks about, he would drink five bottles of water, I think, if we gave it to him up here. But <clears throat> life has been pretty crazy for the Miller family. We, uh, I'd say in the last six months, probably been the hardest six months for us, um, just far as what's going on in our life, a lot of things. If, you, if you've been doing life with us, you probably know some of these things. Some of y'all don't have a clue, but I mean, we, it started from, you know, the car breaking down. One day, Keisha just driving, it's dying. She's got all the kids in the car, ah, trying to pull off to the side of the road. And then from that to Hannah having to have an emergency pr- procedure at MUSC and running down there for that. And it was just things were going crazy. We get done with that. The next week, J.D., I get a call. Keetra's hysterical. J.D. gets his front two teeth knocked out. Um, I mean, the list goes on. We had uh, the, her, what's that? Oh, yeah, we forgot, I forgot the good one. Within all that, our neighbor decides that he would like to put a whole hole in the side of our house with his car. He decided, you know what, this, I think they need a door on that side of the, the garage. And so he... He came through our drive, our side of our yard and ran his car into our house and knocked a big hole in it. Uh, and then we had flooding upstairs from the air. It was just been crazy. Keetra's purse has been stolen. Um, and then <clears throat> yesterday, 
you know, we had some cousins over at the house. Hannah's running around, and um, she slips and falls, hits her front two teeth, chips her front two teeth. And so her mouth's bleeding, and it's just like, you know, I, I recently was ta- asked, said, have you ever, somebody asked me, have you read the screw tape letters? letters? And I was like, that's a bad thing when people are asking you, looking at your life and asking you if you've read the screw tape letters. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but it's, it's about a, a senior demon and a minor demon, and they're, they're really going after this one guy. And so uh, that's just a bad thing if people ask you about that. But we have great hopes for this Advent season. As you can see, it's been a pretty bad storm for us. We have great hopes um, that as we enter this special time that we will uh, be centered and, and realize our hope is in Christ uh, as, as crazy as things might be for us and our family, that uh, this is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be a part of um, and trust in him and his provision as he has provided amazingly for us a savior. Um, and he will continue to provide for us. And we, we have faith and hope in that. Um, so before we, we jump in uh, this morning, um, I feel like life has been crazy. You know, Thanksgiving week and running around and getting back yesterday, but... As Randy talked about, we're entering a special time of Advent. And I just feel like we really need to, ourselves, me, uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually, and physically, just need to, to just kind of pump the brakes a little bit. And uh, so why don't I go ahead and just give us a moment in time of prayer uh, to prepare our hearts to really go into what we're discussing today. Father, Lord, I thank you for, as I said earlier, this opportunity um, to stand before these group of people, Lord, and just, uh, Lord, I pray you would give me clarity, um, be able to uh, speak um, what you have placed on my heart as I've sat and had the opportunity, Lord, to, to just sit in your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the sacrifices that are made for my family to give me time to do that. Um, Lord, I pray that... Um, this morning, as we, we enter the story, um, we, would be, we would be drawn back to the, just the, the shockingness and, and be amazed of what you have done. Lord, I pray that uh, for many of us, this, this is, we've been through, this is the umpteenth Advent season we've run through, Lord. But Lord, I pray that you can do what you only can do and just stop us, calm our souls, let us refocus on you uh, before we hit the ground running with Advent season. May this whole series together, all put together, glorify you, Lord. I thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, before we jump into the birth of Jesus, this, this Advent season, I think we, we really got to step back and look at the full story. Um, it's kind of like if, if we don't, we're, we're walking into a movie when two-thirds of it is over, or we're picking up a book and flipping to the middle and starting to read there. Um, we, won't, we might even read the best part of the book. It might be the, the climactic part, um, but if we don't understand the full story, we're going to miss the, the depth, the fullness of its meaning. Um, so I just want to remind us this morning of the, the full storyline of what the Bible presents. So we start with the creation. Uh, God um, speaks into existence this world, this universe. 
So we have the creation. Then he creates in the creation. He, his pinnacle of his creation, he creates man. He creates Adam and Eve. And he sets them up to, to manage and to govern this beautiful creation that he's created. Um, he says that everything is very good and he puts them in charge. And he gives them one rule, basically one command to follow uh, for their good. He said, there's a, in the center of the garden, there's a tree and you, you are not to eat of it. But with Satan's temptation um, of tempting Adam and Eve and, and saying that really that was holding back from them, they fell to it. And uh, that's what we call the fall. So we have the creation, then we have the fall. So at the fall, we see sin enter in this creation. So it is broken. It is fractured. The whole creation is fractured. So it's never the same. What we live in today is fractured. It's not what God originally created. Um, and then we see, as we, if we look at the Bible, we have the Old Testament, God calling a special people to himself and, and dealing with them and, and giving them the promises uh, basically look forward that he is going to redeem things, that the Messiah is going to come, somebody's going to come to make all things right. And then we have a 400-year period at the end of the Old Testament between the New Testament where it's the silence from God. And that's what we're entering into this first advent. We're picking up at this first advent. It's when Jesus actually comes to be that promised Messiah. And then we have the life of Jesus. He's fulfilling his ministry um, lives a sinless life. He goes to the cross to die, uh, to bear our sins. He resurrects, goes to the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit to be with believers. And then, so that's, that's pretty much it, right? And we're looking forward to his return. So that's the full storyline. I just want to remind us, once again, the full storyline. Crea- creation, the fall, the first advent, the life of Jesus, his resurrection, and then we're looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So why don't I read for you the foundational verse for this series. I would like for you, um, we have some Bibles out. I'd like for you, if you can, on your, on, on your Bible, pick up a Bible or um, on your app to kind of follow on. Let's look together um, at the Word this morning. We're going to look at a couple passages, and I just think it's a good practice for us to be in the word ourselves together and looking at it. Um, So we're going to start out with Galatians chapter 4. So it's in the New Testament. Um, After you have, uh, after you get the Romans, um, you'll see 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you have that good saying that, uh, uh, what is it, General Electric Power Company? That's how you remember which, which, what the first letter of the different books of the Bible uh, in that series right there that kind of get kind of stuck together. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. This says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And so my focus today, my, what I've been charged to in this four-week series is really to focus on the, on the phrase, God sent forth his son. Um, so I've got a question um, for you before we start. God sent forth his son. We've got this um, little 
little Bible. We have different things back on the resource table, and we take time to really try to put before you some, some things that are really good that's going to edify you and your family. But on this cover, we got the, these, these two people here and a little baby. So who, who do we think we got going on here? Who's this guy? What do you think? Joseph. All right, we got, a friend, we got an answer right here. We got Mary, we got baby Jesus, right? So, um, so Jesus, who is Jesus? He's God's son, right? He's God's son, all right. So does that mean he's God? So Jesus God. No, wait, I thought you said he's God's son. But he's God. So he's both. He's both. Okay, you're smart. You're pretty good. Have you been looking at this? Um, so he was born of a woman. We talk about Mary, right? He's born of a woman. So does that mean he came into existence on that night in Bethlehem? That's when he... That's when Jesus came into existence. Well, wait, wait a minute. We, we talked about, we know if you've been in church a while, it's, it's, God has been, he's eternal. He's part of a triune God, three persons in one, as Jamie talked about earlier. And so the point of me asking these questions is thinking about when, you know, sit down and, and open the Bible with my children, the questions that they have. They're like, wait a minute, what, he's God's son, well, I mean, he's God. How does that, how's that work? So what I wanted to do this morning is really spend some time together um, and, and build up the person of Jesus Christ. It's starting a, a part where Justin's going to finish out for us next week, but really truly looking at Jesus' identity. Um, and so to adequately, to adequately, adequately, that's how you say that word, address this question, we have to start before our storyline. So our storyline started in creation. But before our storyline, we know that God existed eternally, forever, with no beginning. As one God, though within himself, three persons. God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each equally divine and have forever existed as one God in an eternal union of love. That's a basic dis- description of the doctrine of, tr- of the Trinity. So that's simple enough, right? One person, one God, and three persons. Well, to make things a little bit more complicated, so we got the Trinity, now we've got to look at Jesus himself. So we have what we call the doctrine of incarnation, is when the second person of the Trinity, who possesses all divine attributes, who is 100% God, is actually sent by God the Father. And that's what we call uh, this doctrine of the incarnation. So the doctrine teaches that the divine second person of the Trinity took on humanity. That Jesus was truly God and he was truly man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Which really doesn't make sense in our minds. It's stuff we can't really compute and, and put together. He's, he's fully and completely both at the same time. He's not a mixture of humanity and divinity. It's not like my favorite salad dressing that Keetra makes for me with oil and vinegar, and you have to shake it up, and it's kind of mixtured up in there, and it's kind of together but not, and you can form parts out of it. But he's completely both at the same time. This truth of the Trinity, Trinity incarnation belong together. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity declares that Christ is fully divine. The doctrine of the incarnation declares that, the same, that this same Christ is also fully, fully human. 
Together they proclaim the reality of the Savior revealed in the New Testament. The Son who came from the Father's side at the Father's will to become the sinner's substitute on the cross. So we've got these truths out before us. And and the reality is the history of the church is littered, has many examples of heresy in regard when people don't hold these two doctrines together rightly. So they might hold up the Trinity uh, or they might hold up one side of Jesus' divinity and not hold up his humanity at the same time. So we've got these these things that don't match up in history. And so what can happen if we, if we don't stay, stay in the, biblical, the center of biblical tension? We actually find ourselves in unbiblical waters. We start drifting. So a part of what I hope uh, for this is to really kind of anchor us this morning. And Justin will come through and anchor us next week as we really understand and try to pull together the true identity of Christ being fully human, or fully God and fully human. Um, so going back to this, this children's Bible that we have, um, I think it's pretty good. This, this question I'll read to you, it, says, it talks about the genealogy of Christ. It says, Jesus is the Son of God. It's great to be able to preach from a children's Bible. Uh, but he also had parents here on earth, Mary and Joseph. Many of the heroes of the Bible were part of Jesus' family. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Rahab and Ruth were also part of Jesus' family as were King David and his descendants, all the way down to Joseph. But the big picture question is, how is Jesus different from any other man? And the big picture answer is, Jesus is fully God, and he's fully man. So, let me... Let's turn to, I know I've done a lot of talking and and talked about a few things, but actually let's turn to God's word and see the scripture that supports that Jesus is fully God. Um, And we're going to start with the book of John. Check out my time. We're going to start with the book of John, and we'll we'll cover all of it. Just kidding. You can start in John chapter 1. You can go ahead and find that, John chapter 1. And I'm going to remind us of... um, a verse at the end of John that John basically states his reason and purpose for writing um, the Bible or writing this gospel of of John. So I'm going to read to you verse 20 starting in verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So we see that this, this purpose, uh, all these miracles that are written down in the book of John and the things that we see, it, it show that he's more than just a miracle worker, more than a prophet. That he is the son of God and that by believing, through, by believing on him, we find life in him. So now let's look at how John opens up what Miss Grace read for us. Says John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So this is, this is kind of points to the foundation of the Trinity that we talked about. That God forever existing. Um, and so it's a, it's a distinct, um, shows you the distinct persons within the unity of the Godhead. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
And the point is that they are not successive appearances of one person. So we had God at the beginning, and then he sends, and then God is Jesus, and then we have after Jesus' resurrection sends the Holy Spirit, just one person in the line. That's a heresy called modalism. When you don't really hold to it, it's, it's, it's kind of succession of, of one God and three, uh, he just becomes Jesus and then he becomes the Holy Spirit. It's not holding to the fact the triune, the Trinity itself. Um, this with, it says, he was, the word was with God, suggests a relationship of close personal intimacy. Remember in the beginning of the definition, I talked about them being together in a unity of love for eternity. So who was the word? Says so the word, word the word was God. So who was the word? Well, it's pretty nice of John to put it down in verse fourteen for us. If you look down at John chapter one verse fourteen, it says, "And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." And this is where I think we need to stop and just think how amazing what this verse tells us. And we talked about the Trinity and God forever existing, Jesus forever existing in this, this unity of love. And that he would enter into creation, his creation that he created. That he would enter in and how he did it. As a baby, as, as Randy talked about, as looking at the, a, a baby, a little baby on the, the, the Christmas card that you can gaze at. But that's what he chose to do. That he would enter his humanity that way. You know, for me, I, I, w- I wouldn't do it that way. I would skip all that part. You know, I might come on the scene at 30 when the ministry starts. That would be good. That would be doing something. You know, do that. Kind of swoop in at the last minute, do my thing, and swoop out. But that's not what God did. He entered all of humanity by starting as a baby, living a full life, and then dying for us. And I think that should amaze us that, that, that Jesus did that for us. As we continue to look at the book of John and think about, okay, how does this book proclaim the, the divinity that Jesus is fully God? Um, it's, it's covered with statements uh, that are called I am statements. Um, these statements are tied to God's name that he communi- communicated to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3. So if you know the story, if you watch the, the VeggieTales video, Mo and the Big Exit, you would know that. Um, you had the burning bush there. Um, and Moses is, kind of thinks he's not the guy for the job. He said, no, I'm not the guy for the job. He said, no, you need to, you need to go to my people and rescue them from Pharaoh. Uh, and then Moses is like, well, who am I supposed to say that sent me? And in God's response, it says, I am sent you. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. And so that's the name, the special name for God in the Old Testament. And so we see Jesus making I am statements. That, that there's no doubt that, that what the point he's making, he's, he's saying that he is equal to God. For what, let's take one example, John chapter 8. Um, we're going to be in verse 56 if you want to flip there. John chapter 8. Verse 56. Says you, <clears throat> sorry. Says your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, "You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham." Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." And so they picked up stones to throw it at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
So this is a very forceful statement of Jesus showing his, of his divinity. And, and we see how forceful it is because we see the response of the Jews. They actually pick up stones to stone them. That was blasphemy to, to, to call yourself equal to God. So it was rightfully punished by death. We also see in the book of John, we have the confession of the Apostle Thomas after the resurrection of Jesus. And that's in John chapter 20. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the, in the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So this is the, the response of Thomas. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. So we see here that Thomas's response is using my Lord and my God. He uses the words that are special for God himself, the one God of Israel. So how about the Apostle Paul? We look through John. We know we're doing the First Corinthians series and the Apostle Paul. Um, he writes uh, 13 letters, uh, a large majority of the New Testament. Well, let's just look at one. I'll give us an example out of the book of Colossians. There's a couple verses there that I think are important for us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Also in chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The writers of the Hebrews opens up, the writer of Hebrews of that book opens up with the supremacy of God's Son, stating in verse 3 that he is the radiance of God's of the radiance of glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So we've kind of, what we've done so far is kind of look at the, the fans of Jesus, those who support Jesus and who, is it, who he is and what they have to say. So next I want to look at, okay, well let's look at those who were not a fan of Jesus, the enemies of Jesus. Um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there, back, turn back to the left. If you stayed in John, you're going to go back left to Luke chapter 4. start in verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. And so Luke, it actually records the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. So a huge part of his ministry when he came on the scene in, in Israel was, it, was healing those who were sick with various diseases and also casting out demons. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 31, records it says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then in down in verse 40 we have another account. It says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. 
So we see that the enemies, these demons, they, they actually understand and see who Jesus is, his true identity. They say that he is the Holy One of God. They say, you are the Son of God. They knew that he was the Christ. So we look at the demons. I, I wanna, so we've got the demons. Well, how about enemy number one? What does enemy number one think of Jesus? So we look at Satan himself at the beginning of, actually, Luke chapter 4, uh, the very beginning of this, uh, this chapter, I'll read you a few verses here. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil, enemy number one, and he ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Randy talked about our membership class coming up, and I really enjoy doing that. That's probably where I feel the most comfortable, sitting down with a group of people in that type of setting, walking through. What we actually do is walk through our church covenant of what uh, the responsibilities are um, uh, as we covenant together, as we, we enter this, this, uh, this union, this relationship together, the responsibilities of a member and also the responsibilities of, of an elder. Um, so my favorite comment so far was, was uh, somebody going through and said, man, this, this, this is, I mean, it's biblical, it's lined out, and it's all lined out here. Um, this, is, this is pretty tough to, to line up and say we're going to do this. And, and the response was, was even, it was even harder on the elder. And the re, their response was, well, you basically got to be Jesus to be an elder. Uh, and so I, I, I really thought that was funny because I know how woefully and how far I sh- fall short of of being Jesus, and even and it's a great struggle as an elder to always feel like, are you doing enough in your own personal time, your own personal uh, walk with the Lord? Are you serving the body like you should be serving? But the point here, the reason why I thought about this, I always think about this, this temptation of Jesus and, and to say that I know I'm not even close because when, when Satan says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread, become bread. Now, if it was me, I'd have been like, bread overfloweth. Boom! I would have made bread come out from everywhere. I'd have been eating the bread. I am the Son of God. You know, that would be my pride to do that. That would be my response. So I'm very thankful uh, and humbled and see and learn from Jesus himself. And it it also shows you my pride. uh, um, You can pray for me in those areas for sure. Um, So we've got one more more witness. So we've got enemy. We've got the enemies. Enemy number one. Well, let, me, let me look at one more witness uh, before we kind of turn, turn around the corner and look and say, okay, what does all this mean? So let's look at God the Father. What does God the Father have to say about Jesus? So we're going we're gonna to move over back, keep going left to, to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. And this is the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse, I'm starting verse 16. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We also see uh, God the Father responding uh, uh, to Jesus' identity in the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. If you want to flip there, Matthew chapter 17. 
It says, and after, I'm starting verse 1. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brothers, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The point being here is that God himself, you know, Peter, what, what was going on? Peter was seeing these great prophets of the Old Testament, and these, there's patriarchs, and he's saying, all right, this, this is good. I need to set up tents for here. He's kind of putting Jesus on the same level. But God wanted to be clear that, no, Jesus is not just a prophet. He's, he is my beloved son. Listen to him. So we've, we've looked at the book of John. We looked at the, uh, the Apostle Paul and the, what he writes into the Galatians. We've looked at the, the gospel of Luke and the enemies and, and Satan himself and what they say about Jesus. And we've, we've looked at the Father and what the Father has to say about Jesus in the gospel of Mark. So I hope we see the foundation that, that Jesus is fully God. But it's still, we have to ask the question, well, why, does this, why does this really matter? I mean, what's, what's the point? Why am I taking all this time to, to do this? And, I mean, many of us know these things. This is, this, we've been around church, these are facts, and these are stories we know. But, but going back to, 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 the, to this right here, to this card, our, our, our series is to find meaning. So what is it? What is it? What are these truths to do? So we've got truths, but to find meaning is actually um, is to find significance in something, the purpose or the end. And so the the purpose is is that, like I talked about in history, that when people don't understand and line up these these doctrines of the Trinity and how they affect and the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus, we have people worshiping a false god. We have people not understanding and not knowing who the Jesus of the Bible is. And so this time of year, I think it's, it's a great time. Everybody's in the Christmas spirit. And we, we often we try to find a way to open the door with our, with our co-workers and our friends and our peers to actually present the gospel. And to me, this time of the year, the, the door is halfway open. People are so open to talk about their Christmas party or what's going on and gatherings. But the point being, do we, do we take those conversations and navigate and back and see that is the baby in the manger, who is that baby to them? Is he fully God? Is he fully human? So I think that's the opportunity that we have. And that my hope is that as, as we see these stories, that we'll take the opportunity and see these, these, these events and these conversations that we'll take the opportunity to point them back that Jesus is fully God. And so continuing to think, like, what's the motivation just besides evangelism, but actually making some mental connections between these truths and, and the implication of these truths. Um, let's look back. I talked about the, the verse in, in Hebrews. Um, it talks about Jesus uh, being the radiance of glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
And so that's, that's who we see the Father through. When we look to Jesus, we see the Father through him. So if Jesus is not God, then how can, how can he be God's final word, supremely revealing God to us? If Jesus is not God himself, uh, come to us, the redemption he brings is powerless to forgive and save. And that's, that's really the, the, the crux of everything. If Jesus is not God, if he's not God, come to us, Emmanuel, the redemption that he brings ultimately in the cross is powerless to forgive and to save. So back to our storyline. Why do I say that? We have to go back to our storyline, right? It's so easy to get lost in all this. We have to remember and be centered on the full story of, of, of the Bible and go back to the storyline. We had creation and then we had the fall. We're sent into the world. We live in a fractured place. So it's God that's been offended. So he's the one that's been sinned against through Adam and Eve and then it's pushed on to us so we are sinners by nature and by choice. So only he can take away the sin. So unless Jesus is divine, his death is irrelevant to our status before God. We would be left to ourselves to justify ourselves. Only God can save Only God can save us. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, the Lord says, I am the Lord, and besides me, there's no Savior. So the bottom line, the bottom line take-home message of all this that I've done this morning, really, the bottom line is that Jesus must be a divine Savior or he could not save at all. And so that itself, that truth and that, that meaning should push us into conversations. I mean, the, the reality of everything, we talked about church history and the church, people not understanding it and, and lining it up and, and the point, but the reality is that we are surrounded by coworkers, peers, friends, and family members that today may be involved in a church that do not hold these truths up. And that should, that should push us to see that the magnitude of, of really understanding the true identity of Jesus and how that relates into him being fully God, because if he's not, he cannot save at all. So, to, so because Jesus is God, he deserves our devotion, and he is worthy of our worship. But if he were not divine, that worship would be nothing less than blasphemous. Because Jesus is God, He is the only adequate Savior. Because Jesus is God, believers are safe and can never perish. Because Jesus is God, and this is where we we get to the, the first advent now transitioning to the second advent of Jesus coming back. Because Jesus is God, all people will be accountable to him when he returns to judge the world at his second advent. So it should should give us confidence that in Christ, him being full of God at the second advent, being in him when he comes back to judge, we will be safe. And what does that mean for those outside of that relationship? So I want to just go back and and remind us of of the, the verses that we started with in Galatians is setting all this up. 
It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem, to redeem those who were, un, who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So my conclusion, as Jamin go ahead, is prepared to come up. So my conclusion of all this, um, and this is where I struggle with. I'm, I'm a truth guy. I kind of like, I like looking at the text and look at everything. But it's, what, what does this all mean? Going back to this fine meaning, what does all this do? So to, to the believer here today, I ask you to go out and herald the coming of our Lord and Savior. And so I'm asking you to go out and be a fool for Christ. If you go back to our 1 Corinthians series in, in the beginning in, in chapter 1 and verse 18, it talks about, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, to us who are, are being saved is the power of God. Go back and listen to the podcast that's titled Ugly and the Foolish. We have this message that we have these conversations that the door is almost open to us to go into and realize that a lot of people are going to think we're fools. But that is the message that we have been called to proclaim. And as a side note, just thinking about our own pride and how we are viewed by others, a good litmus test of if you're going to be a fool for Christ is are you willing to participate in children's ministry? Because if you're not willing to be a fool in front of a bunch of kids, there's no way you're going to be a fool in front of your peers and your coworkers. So to the believer, I'm asking you to herald the same message the angels told the shepherds, that you bring good news of great joy that is for all people. For the Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And maybe that starts with taking some of the invite cards and actually giving them out. Maybe that's actually does. It's not just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get these, and I got about four or five, and they sit in your car, and they never make it out. They actually give to anybody. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do, to, to herald this message um, this Christmas season. To the unbeliever here, um, those who do not know Jesus Christ personally, do not see his coming as precious and their need for his coming, his need for his, his, his dying on their behalf, I pray that you would see the coming of Jesus as the Son of God, as good news of great joy. That today in the fullness of your time is the day that you would confess your need for a Savior and that you would humbly submit your life to Jesus Christ the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.